Randy uh, Gilbertson and I will be ministering in the prison. I'll be preaching twice there this evening. And um, my heart is always very, very moved when I go there. I was born in Detroit. My, my folks moved from the UP to Detroit, where my sisters and I were born. I was raised in Muskegon, where Ellen was raised as well. But um, many of the prisoners just three miles away are from the inner cities of Michigan. And so what an amazing thing to have the inner city three miles away and the opportunity to make a difference in the inner city right here in Marquette. And so uh, Randy and I have become very, very close as a result of going to the prison together. And I would just uh, very much covet your prayers tonight as we minister twice, and I'll be preaching this very same sermon two more times this evening, and I very much appreciate your prayers. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Courtney, for that wonderful prayer as you led us into the Lord's presence, and we're just so thankful for your ministry. Well, many of you know that uh, back in May, uh, Pastor Warren Wearsby passed away at 90 years of age. Do you know his wife passed away a month and a half later in May? Think of that reunion in heaven. A month and a half apart of going to heaven and then being reunited. Uh, Many people said if there was no Betty Wearsby, there would not have been a Warren Wearsby. And her ministry was so critical for his ministry. Wrote over 150 books. Left behind a wonderful legacy. He was very able to say some very memorable things And one of those memorable things I want to give to you this morning, this is what Pastor Wearsby said, and he said it more than just once. He said, the Christian life is not a playground, it is a battleground. And we must be on our guard at all times. And this morning, this is one of the most important insights that we could ever learn in our daily battle with sin. Every day we have a battle with indwelling sin and we can never take a day off, ever. We must be on our guard at all times. Uh, Somebody wrote down a prayer that I've shared with you before and I really relate to this prayer. I'm sure that you relate to it as well. Listen to it again if you have heard it before. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. And we all can say amen to that prayer. No matter how long you have been a Christian, the battle starts as soon as you get out of bed and it rages all day long. And if we do not recognize this, and if we do not affirm this in our own hearts, we are simply not on guard as we should be. Now Romans 6, 11-14 is just the help that we need in this battle. And so this morning, I want to begin a message uh, on these verses entitled, Under New Management, in our battle with sin. 
And I would like you to join me in reading this text this morning. Let's stand together, shall we, as we read the Word of God in unison. And join me as we read these fundamental verses in how we are to live a holy life. Let's read it together. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. All God's people said together, you may be seated. Now the Apostle Paul was the master of metaphor. And in this text, he gives us three metaphors to show us how we are to approach sin. We are to approach sin like a financial accountant approaches bookkeeping. We are to approach sin like a dethroned dictator who is still on the loose. And we are to approach sin like a loyal soldier does every morning when he salutes the flag and pledges his allegiance. Now this morning what I want to do is look at the first two. And then in a subsequent lesson we will look at the third one. So let's take a moment, shall we? I encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. It's page 1120 in the chair Bible in front of you. It's always important for us to look at the Word of God ourselves so that we have it in our mind's eye. And let's take a moment and pray together. Father, how important it is for us to come to a text like this. We know, Lord, that You have told us to perfect holiness in the fear of God. You have told us that we are to be holy because You are holy. You have told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in You, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so, how we live... And how we represent you is so very vital. And thank you that your word not only tells us what we must do, but it shows us how. And help us now to allow the Spirit of God to take the things of Christ and show them unto us that we might see this battle that we have with sin and how we are to engage in it. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin with this financial accountant. And Paul says to us in verse 11 that as a Christian, sin has been defeated in our lives. Sin is a defeated foe in the lives of believers. And you see this very clearly in verse 11. So you also must consider yourself or ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 11 is a summary statement of what we have seen in verses 1 through 10. 
And it very much summarizes what Christ has done in us since we have received Him and have come to believe. The two phrases, dead to sin but alive to God, summarize our changed relationship to sin. Now you may recall as we looked at verses 1 to 10 in this chapter that Paul makes three applications about our changed relationship to sin. And remember what he taught us. As a Christian, our old life is over for good. Our slavery to sin is now ended, and our new life with Christ is permanent and it is dominant. And so as we come to verse 11, what all of this means then is that sin for believers is a defeated foe. It has been vanquished and dethroned. And Paul now says to us, in light of this teaching, I want you as a Christian, no matter how long you have known the Lord or walked with the Lord, to consider this to be true of yourself as a believer. Now, I want you to fasten for a moment on the word consider in verse 11. Do you know, this is the first commandment in the book of Romans. Let that sink in. Five and a half chapters of teaching from the Apostle Paul. And now as we come to this verse and this command, it is the first command, the first time we are called to action. And did you notice, we are not commanded, first of all, to do, are we? We're not commanded to do. The first command is to think something. It is to consider something. It's interesting, the original word that the Apostle Paul uses is the word legizomai. And you can probably hear an English word from this word. We get our word logic or logical from this word. This word basically has the meaning of counting or thinking, and it was actually an accountant's term used in bookkeeping. In fact, the accountant's log book comes from this word. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment this morning. What is the main concern of an accountant in bookkeeping? Well, I think you know. It is reality, isn't it? It is what are the facts of the case. If that accountant writes in the logbook $100, there had better be $100 in the account, right? That's what the accountant is looking for. And if there is not $100 in that account, that accountant will search until that error is discovered because the logbook needs to reflect reality. Now let's take this right here. This is what we as Christians are to do when it comes to sin. What's the new reality? What is the facts? Like good accountants, we are to add up those facts and we are to come to a conclusion and that conclusion is we have a changed relationship to sin. It is a defeated foe. The word consider here is in the present tense. And the idea is of a constant, 
ongoing reminder, a daily reminder of who we are now. Now let's just stop here for a moment. This is the first step. Let me repeat. This is the first step in winning the ongoing battle with daily sin in our lives. I think we all understand that. Attitude affects action, right? Belief always will determine behavior. And so this is the place where we must begin. Uh, Pastor Jim Boyce, who is now with the Lord, had some wonderful sermons on the book of Romans. In fact, they fill four volumes. That's how many sermons he preached. And this is what he says. He says, the secret to a holy life is believing God. It is the key to living the Christian life. The secret to a holy life is believing God. It is the key to living the Christian life. My old professor, uh, Tom Constable, works this out for us, and I want you to listen to how he describes it. Listen carefully. If we fail to believe that sin no longer dominates us, we will be much more vulnerable to yield to temptation to practice sin. However, If we believe sin does not have that power, we will be more apt to resist temptation to stay clear of sin. Consider, he writes, is in the present tense indicating we need to maintain a realistic view of our relationship to sin. Now this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in a parallel verse that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago we looked at this verse, Galatians 2.20, that is a parallel to this teaching here in Romans 6. Let's read it together again, and this time I want you to notice how Paul practices what he is telling us to do, because he says, it is no longer I who live. And it was the key to his own walk with the Lord. Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul lays down for us here a wonderful example of what he is telling us. He is saying here, I'm no longer Saul the Pharisee, self-righteous, hateful, filled with zeal that lacks knowledge. Instead, he is saying, I am now Paul, the Christ One, and Jesus now lives within me, and He controls my life. And now what he is telling us in Romans chapter 6 is that is exactly the same conclusion that God wants us to repeatedly affirm of ourselves. What? Tell that dirty joke? 
It is no longer I. How could I? What? Not apologize to my spouse for that offense? It is no longer I. How could I? What? Stay bitter over some long ago comment that was made to me? It is no longer I. How could I? You see, what we are learning here is this. If our own sin continues to shock us, we will not be able to be comfortable with it. If our own sin, as we walk this path and follow our Savior, shocks us, we will no longer be able to be comfortable with it because what we will say is, I am no longer that person. I'm a different person. And therefore, that is not acceptable in my life. And it is this constant reminder that sin is a defeated foe that is absolutely critical in helping us. It's the first step in the battle with sin. In the early service this morning, I said if I uh, happened to be a famous musician, and we were in a large crowd, and I was sort of accustomed to saying something and then getting the audience response, I would say, sin is a defeated foe. 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 Somebody afterwards said, Pastor Brian, we can see your ponytails and your guitar. And... But that's the point, isn't it? Every day, sin is a defeated foe. I am no longer who I used to be. Now, there's a second metaphor in this text. And it is so important because if we were to stop here, we would say, well, but I still sin. What do you say to that? And I want you to notice what Paul says. The second metaphor is the metaphor of the dethroned dictator. And what does he say? Sin is still a defiant foe. Sin is still a defiant foe. Look at verse 12 and how he continues. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now the very fact that verse 12 says this tells us that sin is very much an active foe in our hearts. So what are we learning here? The change has to do with the power of sin over us, not the presence of sin within us. Let me say that again. The change has to do with the power of sin over us, not the presence of sin in us. I like what Bible teacher Thomas Schreiner says about this. He says, being dead to sin does not mean that believers are unable to sin. Or we could put it this way, being dead to sin does not mean that we are sinless, but it should mean that we will sin less as we walk with the Lord. Now there's a little insight here in verse 12 that helps us. The word reign is another important word. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That is a word that in our English word, we get the word basilica from. We all know what a basilica is. 
A basilica is a royal palace. It is a place where a king rules and exercises control. And so what the Bible is teaching us is this. Indwelling sin is like a dethroned dictator within us. It continues fighting, rebelling, and resisting. Many of us remember when Saddam Hussein was finally overthrown in the Iraq War. And we remember this image from that day. The tremendous jubilation when this statue of Saddam Hussein was toppled and the Iraqi people just rejoiced that they were no longer under the tyranny of this cruel, despotic master. By the way, this fellow right here, he's the soldier that climbed the statue, took the American flag, and put it over the face of Saddam Hussein. How many remember seeing that image? Yeah, many of us do. And look at the headlines. Liberty. Baghdad Falls. Scenes of joy. Now that's the imagery that is right here in verse 12. Uh, By the way, those of us who remember, did Saddam Hussein immediately give up? No, he did not. He kept resisting. He kept encouraging his loyal subjects to fight. And so this is the very same image. This is an image of our conversion. The tyrant sin has been overthrown. Its domination is over. There is joy in the city of our hearts. But in the same way, sin is like an insurgent overthrown by Christ in us, but still fighting. Now one of the keys in always fighting an enemy is understanding how that enemy works. And here in this passage, the Apostle Paul helps us in a wonderful way. He takes the three elements of our personality, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And he gives us a little insight as to how God works, and then he shows us how sin works. And it is understanding how God works versus how sin works that helps us in this daily battle with the insurgent sin. Let me put it up on the screen for you this morning. Let's take a look, first of all, at God at work. God at work. And notice how God works. This is the way He always works in our life. Number one, truth appeals to the mind. God always, always comes to us with the truth and He asks us to obey or to believe that truth. Now, by the way, do we not see that here in verse 11? The very first command is, consider the truth. Some of our translations say, reckon it to be so. 
Believe what God has done in your life. Remember how Jesus said it? He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8.32 This is how God always, always comes. Notice the second thing. The will chooses that truth. All of us, without me saying it this morning, know our emotions are fickle. We cannot rely upon them. They cannot be trusted. Whoever said, if it feels good, do it, was probably not a Christian, right? Because we know emotions cannot be trusted. And so here's what we say. Lord, I believe You. I may not understand or even feel terrific about it, but believing You, I will obey. Now, did you notice? In these verses, the commands to do follow first the command to think. You see that in verse 13. Do, he says. Do not do. So it is very, very clear. The commands to do initially follow the command to believe the truth. It is this change in our thinking that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to empower our choosing. Paul is helping us understand here how God works in our life. It is the change of our thinking that empowers the choosing by the Holy Spirit. And then notice the final thing. The emotions delight in the truth. It may take a while, but eventually we see that God's way is the best way. We see that God's way for the child of God brings satisfaction, peace, blessing, and true happiness. And so as we walk this way, in this daily battle, eventually we begin to see, yes, this is the way to holiness, and this is the satisfying way for the Christian. But now let's look at the other side. Let's look at how sin works. And the thing we're going to notice is that the way sin works is the exact opposite of the way God works. In fact, this is almost completely inverted. Notice how sin works. Sin appeals to the desires. God-given desires are not wrong when they are fulfilled in God's way. But notice here in verse 12, sin twists the desires into evil desires or what this verse calls as passions that perverts God's purposes. Then the next thing that sin does is it persuades the will. This is what will make you happy. This is what you deserve. This is truly life. And then the final thing it does is sin lies to the mind. How sin persuades the will to act on wrong desires is by lying to the mind. In a wonderful sermon on this passage, Pastor John Piper explains this in a very effective way. And I want you to hear what he says. There is a war 
for the soul going on. Sin is fighting for the throne of your soul. It is using your desires as betrayers. Sin takes our desires and makes liars out of them. They promise satisfaction and happiness, and they deliver cheap, fleeting, shallow stimulation that leaves us less content and less peaceful and less hopeful and more guilty, more restless, more discouraged, more enslaved. They lie to us with half-truths. It will feel good. Obeying evil desires does feel good, but only for a short time. Then later comes the misery and destruction. Now there are multiple examples of this in the Bible, aren't there? Who's the first example of this in the Bible? I can hear it. I can hear it. Eve. Eve. Brothers and sisters, Sin always works the same way. Always. Remember what happened. When she saw the tree that it was desirable, she took and ate. And the reason she did was because she believed the lie that had been told to her. And even when God then confronted Adam and her, she continued to believe the lie by rationalizing that it wasn't her fault. And this very pattern that we see over and over in Scripture is the pattern that happens every time we sin. Every time. And the more we understand it, and the more we understand this insurgency, the far better we will be in our lives to deal with sin. Now I wonder this morning, would you like to see a positive pattern? Would you like to see somebody in the Bible that illustrates for us what is taught here in Romans 6, so that we can see the positive side. If I were to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, you would know that there we have the great heroes of faith. And in that chapter, we eventually get to Moses. And when we get to Moses, we see a little summary of how his walk with God began. And it is this summary that is the key to Moses' life. I'm going to ask you to read it together with me. And I want you to notice how the very words that describe our battle with sin and how God works are the very words that Moses understood. Would you join me here? Hebrews 11, 24, 25, and 26. Let's read together. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There it is. Moses considered the truth. And what he said was, I believe this. I believe the reproach of Christ, following Christ and being reproached for it, is greater than the treasures of Egypt. And even though this may eventually mean I am kicked out of Egypt and I will wander for 40 years in a desert, he said, I believe this truth with all of my heart. The reproach of Christ is far greater than the treasures of Egypt. With that firmly planted in his mind, notice what he did. He chose that truth, didn't he? He acted on that truth. He chose God's purposes over sin's pleasures. He was empowered. This is true. I believe it with all my heart. And this is what gives me the strength now to not be comfortable with sin in my life, but instead to say, I am now God's man. I know that God is with me, and therefore He will enable me, and I will make the right choice. And then do you see where his emotions came in? They confirmed his choice. Look what it says about him. He was looking to the reward. He knew the eternal reward is better than fleeting pleasures. He affirmed ultimate happiness, ultimate peace, ultimate blessedness. That comes from God's way. And though there is temporary pain that I may not understand, why God have you not used me now to deliver the people of Israel? Yet he knew in the end he would experience the right joy. How many of us can say today, Moses understood Romans 6? Did he not? This is how we fight the battle. This is how we remain on guard every day. Every day. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. As our eyes are closed and our head is bowed, If you are a Christian here today, we all need to take a moment. And in the quietness of our hearts, express to God what we believe. And in the quietness of your heart, with no one listening, because it's just between you and God. If you are a believer, would you say, Lord, 
Sin is a defeated foe. I affirm the truth about what God has done in my life. And I affirm who I am. And therefore, Lord, when I sin, there are no excuses. It is no one else's responsibility. It is mine. And Lord, as I walk this way in this daily battle, would you help me never to be comfortable with my own sin? Lord, help it to shock me. And then, Lord, in shocking me, help me to say this is no longer who I am. This is no longer acceptable in my life. And I ask You, Lord, to train me, teach me, and guide me. And then would You say, Lord, this very day I recognize and affirm how you work and how sin works. And today I ask you to show me these two different patterns in my life that I might recognize when my mind is being deceived, my desires are being led astray, My will is choosing what I know is outside of your path. And my mind rationalizes what I'm doing. Instead, help me to be committed to knowing the truth, to understanding the truth, to believing the truth, to acting on the truth, knowing that as my mind is transformed, the Holy Spirit will use that transformation to transform me. And eventually, my emotions will say, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Lord, today, hear our prayers. Thank You for the beauty of Your Word. Thank You for such wonderful, clear instructions. Thank You for the transforming work of Christ within us. And Lord, we affirm, we affirm that we will never in this life be sinless. And we thank You for Your daily forgiveness which You understand about us far more than we understand. We affirm to You today, Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we pray that we will perfect holiness in the fear of God until the day that You call us home. We love You, Lord, this morning. For Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.